I want us to look at Mark's account of Jesus' resurrection this morning, seeing that he didn't have much good to say about the first reactions of Jesus' closest followers. Let me say that again, lest you think you misunderstood me. Mark didn't have very much good to say about the initial reactions, the first reactions of Jesus' closest followers. Paul records in 1 Corinthians 15 that Jesus died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures. We read this a little earlier. That He was buried, that He was raised on the third day, that He appeared to Peter, then to the twelve, then to more than 500 brothers at one time. Think about that. And Paul adds, most of whom are still alive. It's tough to lie about someone's testimony if they're still around to set it straight. Though some have fallen asleep, Paul added there in 1 Corinthians 15. Even so, even with all of this testimony, even with all of this observation of the risen Christ, as Jesus was ascending back to heaven 40 days after the resurrection, having walked with His disciples, having instructed them about the kingdom of God, Matthew records that when the disciples saw Him, they worshipped, but some doubted. Even then, prior to that, Luke reported on the very day of the resurrection and the day or so afterward, women told the apostles the things they saw at the tomb. And then in Luke 24, 11, but these words seemed to them an idle tale. To the women who shared it, these words seemed an idle tale and they did not believe them, Luke records. We really are strange creatures, don't you agree? <laughs> We are strange creatures, capable of doubting what's real even when it's staring us right in the face. We're not used to seeing someone risen from the grave, and in truth, it has only happened once. That's not forgetting about Lazarus and a widow's son and other things like that. We recognize that each of them were raised back to life, but they were really just resuscitated. They, they died again. Jesus, as Paul records, the first fruits from among the dead. But these women, seeing Him, thought it an idle tale. They didn't believe Him. We're strange creatures. We can deny the things we see. But my friends, I want you to know that there is nothing in this world more real than the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. There is nothing in this world more real than the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. And our very presence here this morning proves that. If Jesus' body were still decaying in some Jerusalem grave, we wouldn't be talking about it today. We wouldn't be preaching about it today. There'd be nothing to say. Paul said it best just a few verses later in 1 Corinthians 15. He said, if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain. And your faith is in vain. In fact, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins, he added. But then he finished that thought by saying, but in fact, Christ has been raised, raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. And I love that description. The first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. That just means that there are many more resurrections still to follow. Not resurrections like Lazarus, resurrections like Jesus. 
resurrection to newness of life that Kip was sharing each time he baptized someone this morning. Raised again to newness of life, we have the hope of the resurrection, a body just like Jesus that will finally be freed from sin and from its impact. Praise God for that hope. And Paul records that in 1 Corinthians 15. Many more resurrections to follow. Even so, if people are bent on doubting it, they're fully capable of doing so. We see that from the very first century accounts that Matthew and Luke record that I read a few moments ago. And we see it also right here in Mark's gospel today. But the testimonies of the eight people that you just heard this morning are proof not only of the fact that Jesus is risen, but that he's still at work changing the lives of any and all who believe in him. Jesus is still at work today changing the lives of any and all who believe. You can be a doubter, but you don't need to be. Because Jesus is still changing lives. And we've heard testimony times eight this morning from the baptismal. And we've affirmed it with our collective voices as we sung the praises of the true and living God. My friends, if Christ is not raised, we are wasting our time. We should dismiss now and go. But the fact that we are not going to do that is the next testimony to the fact that there is something to preach. And that's why we're still preaching it and celebrating it so many years later. Let's read Mark's brief account now of Jesus' resurrection and notice that he's, he's not embellishing anything. He's not exaggerating anything. In fact, he seems to have no interest at all in even putting a good face on things. It's really amazing how Mark records this in Mark 16. At this stage of Mark's telling of the story of Jesus' arrest and trial and crucifixion, he spent more than a third, probably 40% of his gospel on this final week of Christ. And as he gets to this point in the story, he's laid out parallel but interwoven accounts of the religious leader's plan versus God's plan for how best to respond to Jesus' life and ministry. So we see the religious leaders pursuing their best in terms of understanding what should be done in response to Jesus. We see God's plan playing out. We see Mark laying those side by side and telling the story. It would be a wonderful opportunity to walk through it and see how that works in Mark's gospel. We're just going to look at the resurrection account this morning. As chapter 15 came to a close, it seemed like the leader's plan had prevailed. Jesus bloodied and beaten corpse. That sounds crass, but that's the very word translated into English here in our Bibles back in chapter 15. Jesus' bloodied and beaten corpse had been removed from the cross and placed in the tomb, and it was done so quickly before sundown on the eve of the Sabbath. And then we begin chapter 16. Follow along now in your text as I read. When the Sabbath was passed, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James, possibly Jesus' mother, we don't know, and Salome brought spices so that they might go and anoint him. And very early on, 
the first day of the week, when the sun had risen, they went to the tomb. And they were saying to one another, who will roll away the stone for us from the entrance of the tomb? And looking up, they saw that the stone had been rolled back. It was very large. And entering the tomb, they saw a young man sitting on the right side, dressed in a white robe. And they were alarmed. And he said to them, do not be alarmed. You seek Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified. He is risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him. But go tell the disciples and Peter that he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him, just as he told you. Think about that. Just as he told you before going to his death, nothing could appear more pitiful and helpless than a crucifixion. And yet, before going to his crucifixion, Jesus is making promises about what would happen a few days later. Wow. And before we read the last verse here of Mark 16, the last verse being verse 8, I just want to pause for a moment and think of what it must have meant to Peter to be singled out like this here in verse 7 to make sure he got this word, to make sure he knew that he was still part of the crew. After he had denied Jesus three times, just, just a few days before. Wow. God, God's forgiveness is amazing. Amen? And God's forgiveness stands right at the center of his plan. And his plan is going to prevail over the plan of the religious leaders, even though at the end of chapter 15 it looked like theirs had prevailed. God's forgiveness stands right at the center of his plan, and that's good news for each of us still today. That's what we're celebrating here today. This is what tells us that we can't sin too badly for God to save us. Did you hear me? We cannot sin too badly for God to save us. You just can't out-sin God's grace. No matter how far you stray, He can find you. He can cleanse you. He can reconcile you to Himself through Jesus' sacrifice. Peter is proof of that. I'm proof of that. You're proof of that. The ones that we heard from this morning are proof of that. No matter how far you stray, Jesus can find you. God can find you through the work of Christ. Look now, though, at verse 8. And here's where we see what we've been talking about so far. Verse 8, and, when, and they went out and fled from the tomb, for trembling and astonishment had seized them. And they said nothing to anyone, for they were afraid. According to the earliest manuscripts, Mark's story ends right there at verse 8. The final words are, they said nothing to anyone, for they were afraid. Mark put a period at the end of the sentence, figuratively speaking, and laid down his pen at that point. Jesus was alive, but his followers were mute with fear. 
Initially, they said nothing to anyone. It seems like it was Mark's intention to leave his readers with a question by this method. He was intending to leave his readers with a question, namely, what about you? How do you respond to Jesus? Especially to Jesus' resurrection. How do you respond? Are you more like his first followers? Or are you more like these these folks that we heard from in baptism this morning? Have you trusted Jesus? Have you received Him as Savior and Lord? Or are you keeping your distance? Perhaps even running away in fear. Years ago, I had a good friend, a professor of psychiatry at Northwestern University. And he loved to talk religion. He loved the positive impact that having some kind of faith has on people in particular and on society in general. He loved that. So he was very interested in my work, and we talked about aspects of the gospel on on many occasions. But then we were finally together uninterrupted for a long enough window of time for me to explain the gospel fully to explain who Jesus is, to explain what He taught and what He did for us through His death and His resurrection. And when I finished, my friend sat there speechless for a few moments. Then he said, if this is true, it changes everything. I told him I couldn't agree more. I think that was the perfect response. If this is true, it changes everything. And I told him I believed it really is true. He was quiet again for a moment and with a distant look in his eye, and and then he changed the subject, and we never spoke about religion again. I believe Mark's conclusion here is not at all unusual. I think we've seen Mark's conclusion here repeated on a number of occasions in our own experience. I believe my friend ran away in fear that day, understanding some of the implications of placing his trust in Christ, perhaps, maybe. But still, he was completely overwhelmed by the thought that if Jesus really is who he says he is, if he actually did what the Bible says that he did, then then that truly does change everything. We either need to bow before Jesus in humility and repentance and faith, or we'll likely need to spend the rest of our lives running or hiding from any more conversation about him. Those really are our only two options. Jesus told us in Mark chapter 10, verse 45, that he came to give his life as a ransom for many. From the very beginning of Mark's gospel, he said back in chapter 1, the time is fulfilled, the kingdom of God is at hand, repent and believe in the gospel. 
Those are Jesus' own recorded words in Mark's gospel. These are considered the theme verses of Mark's gospel. So the question is, have you listened to them? Have you listened to them? Have you responded to them and placed your trust in Jesus by faith? Have you recognized that if these things are true, it really does change everything? And I don't want to run and hide from the God of the universe who has provided a way of salvation in Christ. I want to embrace that. I want to receive it. So have you placed your trust in Jesus by faith or are you still running away in fear? That's the question I need to leave with you this morning. I believe that's the question that Mark's gospel leaves with us this morning. And if you'd like to reconsider your current answer to that question, don't hesitate to give us a call here at Grace Church. Give me a call. I would absolutely delight to talk with you about that question. That's our time in the Word this morning. That's the power of the resurrection of Jesus. Pray with me now, and let's remember the body and blood of the Lord that has purchased this great salvation for us. Join me in prayer. And as I pray, those who are helping serve communion, please join me at the front. Heavenly Father, we long to see you do a great and marvelous work among us. We long to see the power of the gospel, of the crucified, risen, and returning Lord Jesus Christ put on display among us. Father, we desire for each one here this morning to understand that it is in Christ alone that they can be reconciled to God, that His death paid the penalty for their sin. And in Him, they can be reconciled to You. They can be part of this body of believers. They can have a hope of eternal life with You in heaven. Father, do Your work, I pray. Do Your work by Your Spirit, through Your Word, to the praise of Your grace. And as we remember the Lord's death this morning, let us remember it as ones who are also rejoicing in His resurrection. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.